Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that Marilyn Manson is actually really smart? Hello, and welcome to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic journey through the cinematic oeuvre of Michael Moore. My name's Will Sloan. I'm here with... Luke Savage. And... Peter Mansbridge. That's right. CBC. Hello. <laughs> Actually, we couldn't get Peter Mansbridge, so last minute replacement, we got the CBC's Chris Berube. Chris Berube imitating Peter Mansbridge without his <laughs> consent. Uh, hello. Nice to thank you for inviting me on your show, uh, Will and Luke. Well, uh, we I'm were a big, third I'm down a big the list. Fan. We wanted Mansbridge, and Mansbridge. when he fell through, we tried to get Strombo, but that didn't work either. I appreciate so we're, that. So we're glad you were able to fill in. And we wanted you here because we're talking about bowling for Columbine today, and as a member of the NRA, I think you'll provide <laughs> a lot of interesting insight well this afternoon when i was walking through this apartment building uh, opening random unlocked doors uh, to see if there were any podcasts being taped i'm really glad that i found this one so thank you very much for having me on this is a great honor so we just watched bowling for columbine oh boy oh, shit. <laughs> I, and i this is i, I realize we said this almost every week um every week without exception it's like it, every every week it seems we've hit the nadir it has to be up from here this movie is so bad it so what's interesting okay i i wanted to ask you guys about this project of this podcast that you're doing yeah. because are you just trying to figure out like if you've changed or if the <laughs> movies were always like this or like what what are you trying because like i didn't remember bowling for columbine like i saw it when i was 15 right i went to the the queensway cinema the local multiplex which is where i saw it too yeah. sure uh and at the time i was like oh my god i i it's like wake up sheeple what have i been oh thinking god. this whole I was time electrified by this movie you met the scene the early montage oh. you know set to what a wonderful world of oh, all yeah. of america's overseas atrocities i mean as a child all that information was new to me sure i was 13 at the time it's like he'd, he'd revealed something and i was like oh yeah. my, oh my god like i was shaking mm-hmm. um so i didn't have the same reaction today luke when did you first see it I actually don't remember the first time I saw this film. I'm pretty sure I saw Fahrenheit 9-11 first. Um, I saw that in the theaters. But this was a movie that I remember being shown in school. And I remember it being just a really popular movie among, like, all of my friends. Like, this was our kind of... If we wanted to have, you know you know, a thinking person's movie night. This is what we'd watch. So I remember a lot of nights watching this in like someone's basement and and just being like, whoa. Oh, exactly the same with me. I mean, we watched it... Uh, yeah, Thinking Person's Movie Night with my friends. Uh, I, I saw it a lot like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it a lot on my own. Yeah. Um, I saw it a lot at, or if, like, I think we all had, like, a social studies teacher. Yeah, who it was your chose, activist yeah. social studies like, teacher. I, I saw this too. movie in class. Who's a, who's a member of, like, the Green Party or something. Yeah, I saw this. Is, <laughs> I mean, this is, like, a pretty mildly, like, the message that you take away as a high school student is, like, man, guns, gun culture sounds terrible. Like, it's kind of, yeah. like, the messages you take away from this movie are pretty simple. Like, it's yeah. not as though it's, you know, thinking about it, it's, like, I mean, it's pretty controversial for a social right. studies teacher to show it, but it's like, I don't think you're learning anything. Not really, yeah. Not, well, yeah. very simple, but also very complex, because I don't know if you know this, but America has a big culture of fear. And, <laughs> and, you uh, buy a gun in a bank. And Bill Clinton <laughs> dropped more bombs during the war on the day of Columbine as any other day. Whoa, and, what? And, you know, to, as the poet said, maybe he had more influence <laughs> on the Columbine killers than I, Marilyn Manson, did. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say, really? He's Michael Moore, America's favorite whistleblower, the man in everyone's face, the guy asking the question, are we a nation of gun nuts or just plain nuts? My name was second highest in the bomb threat list, which kind of made me mad. Why? Because you didn't make it to number one? It had been kind of like an ego thing there, you know, knowing that I was a number one at something. Now he's taking aim at America's most controversial subject. Why do you think we have so many gun murders in America? Because everybody's first reaction is pull the gun out. The town of Virgin, Utah has passed a law requiring all residents to own guns. This is a great place to raise your children. Uh, so, I mean, I think our, our general takeaway from this movie was that it was worse than we possibly could have imagined. It definitely does uh, not. It, do, it does not hold up. Uh, even though we, I, I think we definitely remembered specific scenes. I mean, there were things I didn't remember. But what really struck me was how it just kind of moves like 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 it drifts kind of from one like like loose theme one like ill-defined 
not very precise like analysis of something like everything's anecdotal it drifts from one thing to another sometimes the connection is so threadbare it'll be geographic it'll be like across from the farm where timothy mcveigh plotted the oklahoma bombing this guy lived and he was a troubled high school student and his mom did like it's just he's like but, a cousin of the guy from yeah. columbine or something and he <laughs> but, like, connects those dots yeah but look that's because it's an essay film like yeah, for fake you know it's, it's about it's about none of these issues exist in their own little silo right it's it's just it's it's the whole country that contributed right. to columbine. so canadian bacon is like him doing kubrick and this is right. him doing orson welles yeah right uh, the movie uh broadly what it's about <laughs> is because uh, it's only broadly yeah. in this movie yeah uh this this came out i guess three years after the columbine massacre you know uh the, the first celebrated school shooting um mm. in america although i'm sure there the first others. the first really high profile one. yeah the, the yeah. yeah the that, first viral yeah. school yeah, yeah. shooting right and um michael moore you know just an average joe from michigan a member of the nra even although i think that's a somewhat disingenuous claim yeah. i think he probably just got that got nra membership. membership for the movie yeah. No, it was he had it from childhood, didn't he? When he was like a teenage marksman who was like super good and probably like yeah. just never bothered to unbecome a member you of the you NRA. You have to re- renew your membership. I, I think Will's right. I think he probably got it specifically for the movie. So just they, so we can say, so to, can Charl- say to Charlton Heston. Heston. I'm a, as a member of your organization, yeah. Sean McCard, yeah. yeah, maybe. Yeah. So he's just setting out to wonder, you know... Um, Canada has as many guns as we have per capita, although, again, a disingenuous claim because in Canada it's a lot of hunting rifles right. and fewer handguns. And- yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and, you know, Germany has as violent a history as we do. Why do we have so many gun murders? And the answer, it turns out to be, is because of Charles <laughs> <laughs> So the, the consequence of not really having any clear thesis and just drifting anecdotally from one thing to, the, to another is that Moore never really answers his own question. You, like, in fact, he seems to contradict himself numerous times, and we'll discuss that a bit as we go through uh, the different scenes in the movie. Let's. I, I think we, we need to approach this movie by talking about the key scenes, because, yeah. I mean, mm. this movie is nothing if not just a collection of random scenes. It reminded me of, it reminded me of, of a movie like Monty Python's Meaning of Life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it really is a picaresque this film it reminded me of like a jackson pollock painting you know lots of vibrant things just thrown onto a canvas it's like a rorschach like you look at it and whatever it means to you is what it means we open with him with the famous gun in a bank scene we open with the gun oh first we've established that uh columbine is a day like any other day Mm -hmm. kids are going to school america is in michael moore's words bombing a country whose name we can't pronounce which in this case was serbia which i'm (laughs) pretty sure most americans most americans can pronounce serbia and and that's another example of michael moore's leaden irony he's the poet of leaden irony (laughs) (laughs) um and yeah he apparently found uh, a bank that will sell you a gun if you open a checking account and this gets into the first of many complaints that people had of the factual accuracy of the film because of course in real life you didn't actually just if you went to the bank you didn't actually just get handed a gun or background there was a background check took, took several days i think and or... and you would get it you would have to go somewhere else to get it or right. it'd be delivered to your house or something right. so in the movie we see him we see him asking the clerk at the bank so you have a bunch of gun you have 50 guns in your vault she says yes in our vault mm-hmm. and what she really means is our vault 200 miles away Right. But, of course, because the camera crew's there, they'll give him mm-hmm. a gun. Right. And so, of course, you see him do his famous line. Well, my first question is, don't you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns at a bank? Smash so, cut away from that woman so we do not hear her response. So we don't hear her <laughs> saying for the 500th time. We, we don't won't just give you a gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But really, it's about, as, as Werner Herzog would say, an ecstatic truth. A truth deeper <laughs> than the facts. This is actually something I unironically argued in my high school newspaper. About Michael Moore? Yes. Really? Um, I would say, you know, I don't want to toot my own horn. I think I've evolved as a thinker since then. <laughs> Uh, so where do we go from there? So we, we go to some random footage of Chris Rock doing a routine about oh, yeah. uh, making bullets illegal. Bullet control. Bullets expensive. And then you go to the Michigan militia for a while. Like the movie just kind of starts. It, it I didn't realize how quickly it kind of drifts because yeah. then we go to like talking about Timothy McVeigh's co-conspirator's brother. Alleged co Yeah. Alleged co-conspirator's brother who is clearly a crazy person. Who's nuts. Right. And I guess that's to start on, like, the big theme in the movie, which I completely forgot about this, how much of the movie is just focused on America's a really fearful place and people have crazy opinions. And that's kind of, I think, the thesis of the movie is that's why we kill more people than other places. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, basically, we don't get to the Columbine Massacre until about 40 minutes into this movie. And, yeah. And before that... Basically, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but basically he lays the groundwork of 
Um, America is a fearful place. America is a place that has uh, gun culture kind of in its very essence, you know, with like the militia. Um, and America is a place where even a crazy guy like Timothy McVeigh's co-conspirator's brother can have a gun easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, God, is there anything else before that? Like, I mean, I <laughs> well, then realize we, then the we movie go to is the militia like, babes. Then we see the militia babes. <laughs> yeah. Or, or there's that uh, humorous scene where Michael Moore touting the gun goes to get a haircut, and he's able to buy bullets at the barber As shop. He's getting a haircut. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of he's basically painting a broad tapestry of a country that loves guns until smash cut mm-hmm. um, the Columbine massacre. When, I mean, Michael Moore, you know king of the tonal shifts i think oh boy the tonal shit that is a crazy swing oh also movie. Uh, we find out before that littleton colorado where the massacre was also had a lockheed martin plant right that allegedly it it he's like yeah it's a we, he goes to the lockheed martin plant and he interviews this very reasonable sounding lockheed martin public relations guy yeah. who in he's front just of a pr flunky who, who just yeah, says dumb sure. things but who, you know. of course because he's but like what else he gonna do it's the stuff that you would expect the lockheed martin pr guy to say right yeah and he's interviewing him in front of what appears to be a missile but is probably actually a rocket of some kind and he's asking him about like you're you're the biggest weapons maker and what the why do you how do you think that influenced columbine and the guy's like i don't i can't answer this so question he's like you don't see any connection between you know the violence that happened at columbine and and this, and the guy's like, no, I, I don't. And I mean, I, I, and, and I, I question right. it, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, maybe just in a, a very broad poetic sense of uh, America's foreign intervention has been equ- equally or worse right. as ruinous as the right. Columbine Massacre. Moore's, Moore's um, overriding thesis, if there is one, uh, which I think, again, he contradicts you know, in several places, is that... The violence that happened, uh, that happens with you know on the streets and in schools uh, with guns, is somehow uh, you know connected to um, America's external violence. So it represents kind of the 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 dark id of the United States or something. And basically, he's saying there's something rotten at the core mm-hmm. of America. But then again, he contradicts himself by saying, "But wait a minute, Germany has all a these other countries were violent. Yeah. You know, England ran yeah. a, ran a, an empire that was very violent. Mm-hmm. So what about them? Yeah. Um, and ultimately, he comes down to the conclusion that well, it's Charles Nelson's fault. <laughs> basically, and it'll be a pissing match between two assholes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, forgot to say that the Lockheed Martin plant in Littleton apparently didn't even manufacture weapons at the time so he basically yeah. had the pr guy stand strategically in front of something that wasn't a weapon it was a big rocket or right. something um something for the air force right. it has air force on right. it but it was not specifically like yeah his argument being that it was like oh missiles are also yeah the, that the uh, production of missiles here is directly contributing to the fact that these two kids <laughs> yeah killed everyone <laughs> at their school i it well okay so i want to talk about the tonal shift into the Footage, like he plays like nine one one footage from mm. Columbine we hear the that day. Calls, yeah. We hear the calls. We actually watch footage, and it's like a real smash cut because it's coming right off him like interviewing these crazy militia people and like and laugh. And we're supposed to laugh. yeah, we're supposed to laugh. And yeah. then suddenly it's like you just hear that. That it's actually like really chilling, like listening it's to the actual jarring. Columbine yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's a really jarring moment. And I felt a little a little icky at times seeing some of this footage. I mean, there's uh, there's a whole montage where we see a lot of actual gun violence you know famous gun violence um you know people killing themselves set to happiness as a warm gun mm. it's like a super cut. it's like a youtube super cut of yeah. gun violence like highlights. Um, uh, you know a, lo- a lot of a lot of scenes just like divorced from all context oh you yeah know? scenes that there aren't even there aren't even captions i mean it'll be it'll be a police officer beating someone up or something or just somebody shooting someone and you have no idea what what the context is what the date is right. anything but, and these are images that i like i resent seeing them used so flippantly yeah. you know yeah. with happiness is a warm gun playing mm-hmm. um as this kind of like bitterly black comic he's going montage. for he's going for some kind of sardonic humor but it really doesn't work and then to have that next to the kind of painful earnestness of the columbine scenes where we see the surveillance footage played and then and then people with, who with, were with in the school with like, treacly music playing yeah. you know yeah. uh it's bad i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so okay we have this columbine scene we see all the footage we have the treacly music and then michael moore's like okay what's the root cause smash cut People are angry at Marilyn Manson. They say it's Marilyn Manson's <laughs> fault that all this stuff happened. He's like shows the montage of like people blaming different people stuff. People are blaming and violent video games. Violent video music. games. And then you see Joe Lieberman and he's blaming Marilyn Manson. He's like, this is the sickest rock group ever promoted by a major right. label. 
And you know, like I think when we were kids, you know, as like suburban kids, really normcore kids, I was at least. <laughs> I was oh. rural. Speak for yourself. I was urban and also normcore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we really represent the spectrum here on this podcast today. Like I think for us kids, uh, Marilyn Manson was kind of like the boogeyman. Oh sure, absolutely. like you would hear a sto- you would hear. Oh, did you know that Marilyn Manson did this? Did that? Yeah. Like there was definitely like I re- I distinctly remember thinking Marilyn Manson ate people for some reason. Like that's sure. a thing that I think someone may have wow. told me, or I might have confused him with a rumor about Ram or something like i don't know yeah like marilyn manson seemed like anything was possible with marilyn manson right. and he he was the guy who did like evil music yeah so i guess for kids finally seeing him in this movie i mean it was an inescapable thing to hear uh when this movie came out oh did you know marilyn manson's actually really smart <laughs> right <laughs> but we see marilyn manson being interviewed um in, in full makeup and mm-hmm. right and actually it's a so mike was interviewing yeah. him backstage at his concert in michigan which is being protested and marilyn manson is sitting uh he's got his legs uh spread eagled basically yeah. he's mm-hmm. sitting in a chair and michael moore's position on the couch in such a way that it looks like he's literally about to suck Marilyn Manson's dick. Notably, <laughs> Michael Moore is wearing sunglasses, wearing sunglasses. <laughs> while he's doing this yeah. interview. Well, I'm talking to this cool shock rocker. I better I better look the part. Yeah. <laughs> so he's still got the ball cap, but he's wearing sunglasses as well. And basically, Marilyn Manson says some kind of like um, undergraduate statements yeah. about uh, our our society, which it keep, keeps we're us afraid, Mindlessly man. consuming. And... and by making us afraid, we'll consume, which, you know... I mean, I don't disagree, uh, yeah. but, but I, mean, I don't know if I agree either. It's a little bit... The two byproducts of, of that whole tragedy were uh, violence and entertainment and gun control. And how perfect that that was the two um, things that we were going to talk about with the upcoming election. And also then we forgot about Monica Lewinsky and we forgot about the president was shooting bombs overseas, yet I'm a bad guy because I've, I've sang some rock and roll songs. And who's a bigger influence, the president or Marilyn Manson? Do you know, I'd like to think me, but I'm gonna go with the president. Do you know that the day the Columbine happened, the United States dropped more bombs on Kosovo than any other time during that war? I do know that, and I think that that's really ironic, you know, that, that nobody said, well, maybe the president had an influence on this violent behavior. Uh, because that's that's not the way the media wants to take it and spin and turn it into fear because then you're watching television you're watching the news you're being pumped full of fear there's floods there's aids there's murder cut to commercial by the acura by the colgate if you have bad breath they're not going to talk to you if you got pimples the girl's not going to fuck you and it's just this it's a campaign of fear and consumption and that's what i think that it's all based on is the whole idea that keep everyone afraid and they'll consume and i remember thinking because i i was a, re- an, a reader of ad busters yeah know, sure, and, that, and that and that kind of politics that um marilyn manson you know speaks about in that in that scene were pretty much when i was like 14 or 15 that was my politics yeah you know right. there's the part where michael moore says well did you know that bill clinton brought more bombs on kosovo on that day than any other day of the uh, of the war <laughs> and marilyn manson says I did know that. And, <laughs> and, and it's interesting. The, the media doesn't spin it saying, well, maybe the president influenced these kids. I mean, you know, I like to think I'm more influential than the president, but I, I don't I'm going to have it. to go with the president. And I mean, first of all, hey, it happened in the morning. So the kids had already decided to do the massacre. The oh, president sure. was a non-factor. <laughs> this took some planning. This took some planning. They, they didn't check the news that morning and be like, great idea <laughs> it, uh, that part where yeah where manson's just like maybe it is like it seems like moore's just leading marilyn manson where he wants him to go he's like maybe it's the president marilyn manson's like right finally <laughs> and also i dare say that uh marilyn manson might have had more influence on these kids than uh Dem- Democratic president <laughs> Bill Clinton, moderate Democrat Bill Clinton, <laughs> yes. might have had. You don't think they had Bill? You don't think they had Clinton Gore posters everywhere? <laughs> so yeah, these kids were really rooting for Jerry Brown to win that <laughs> particular primary, so they were probably really disappointed. So, so that's dumb, and yet even so, Marilyn Manson up to this point is still the smartest person in the movie. Oh, easy, I, I, probably until we get to Matt Stone, Trey Parker, Trey, Par- Trey uh, Parker. Is it, do we get to Trey Parker or Matt Stone? I, can't. I thought know? it was Matt. Well, I think it's Matt. Stone. One of the South Park guys it gets interviewed and this is funny too because a few minutes after one of the South Park guys is interviewed Michael Moore shows this cartoon A Brief History of America uh, which is clearly derivative of the style of South Park. Suspiciously yeah it's narrated by a little bullet 
who mm-hmm. is walks around seems to have a Cartman. He's like, hey, mm-hmm. here's the history of America. Like he really, yeah, it's like it's plagiarism. <laughs> that video. Now it's time for a brief history of the United States of America. Hi, boys and girls, ready to get started? Once upon a time, there were these people in Europe called pilgrims, and they were afraid of being persecuted. So they all got in a boat and sailed to the new world where they wouldn't have to be scared ever again. Oh, I'm so relaxed. I feel so much safer. But as soon as they arrived, they were greeted by savages, and they got scared all over again. So they killed them all. Now, you'd think wiping out a race of people would calm them down, but no. Instead, they started getting frightened of each other. Witch! So they burned witches. In 1775, they started killing the British so they could be free. And it worked, but they still didn't feel safe. So they passed a Second Amendment which said every white man could keep his gun. I loves my gun. Loves my gun. Which brings us to the genius idea of slavery. You see? And supposedly the uh, the South Park guys hated Michael Moore after that because basically he offered them the chance to, to do this great cartoon. Yeah, and, and they, they were like, no, thank you. <laughs> and then, of course, well, they got their revenge because they put a Michael Moore-like character in Team America World Police. They put Michael Moore yeah. as a character. As a character yeah. in that, and then they also uh, make fun of him on South Park. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's something where it's even like the people who... Michael Moore brings in to just give the guy from South Park a platform to talk about why he's he's great. Uh, that guy turns on him. Somehow, like, Michael Moore somehow alienates that guy in the process of making this movie. I, I feel like we've talked for so long already, and I still feel I feel like we're getting lost in the soup of this film. Because... <laughs> That's all there is. They're all it's all it's all soup. Yeah, like. <laughs> I feel like on earlier episodes we've been able to talk about the grand overarching ideas at this point, and I don't, I don't. So I think the biggest idea, the idea that the movie argues most persuasively, is that we're kept afraid by the media, right? And that makes us buy a lot of guns and kill each other because we're all afraid of each other, especially black people who right. look scary in the media. So we get a lot of we got get a lot of montages of people buying kind of home security things. We get, I think. Uh, the terror alerts are mentioned a few times. There's uh, some statistics about how after 9-11, people were buying guns and home security systems, that kind of thing. But I mean, just like everything else in the film, this is all like pretty nebulously defined, I think. Right, like they give murder statistics, but they don't give per capita murder yeah. statistics, which is, are a lot more interesting. But the big one, like we get the interview with the guy who makes cops, who Michael Moore seems to put some of the blame on. And that guy, which really does seem like an excuse for him to do corporate cops, his parody of cops. Oh, God. Where Michael Moore is a guy arresting White you know, collar white criminals. Collar criminals. Right. Yeah, it's the culture of fear stuff, and he tries to make the point with the Columbine dad, with Tom Hauser, the guy whose uh, son was killed in Columbine, that there's something fundamentally culturally different about America. And when he's interviewing Tom Hauser at the end of that scene, Hauser goes, Yeah, what do you think it is? Michael Moore's like, I don't know, what do you think it is? He's like, I don't know, I want to find out. And then smash cut to Canada when it's like, his argument is that Canadian media is keeping us less afraid than the American well, stuff. Yeah, yeah. The, he says the Canadian media is a lot gentler and less concerned with fear than it is in America. Yeah. Which I don't think is true. I mean... Then moments later, he tells us, but Canadians watch all the same violent movies that we do. Right. Well, which yeah. like, uh, and, and <laughs> so very confusing. We see yeah. a very selective montage of news footage of somebody saying, uh, well, you know, we may have some disagreements, but we, we talk it through in Parliament. Or, <laughs> yeah. or right. you see a news broadcast of breaking news, new speed bumps. <laughs> and I mean, it's as if like the Toronto Sun doesn't exist here. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure if you if you watch like some local American news station, they wouldn't have like just as banal like peaceful stories. Like, of course they would. Yeah, right. right. Well, like CP24. Like anytime you watch CP24, like if there's a house fire, that is 30 minutes out of their hour of coverage. Or like it's it's not that dissimilar. But the other thing is like Moore's not giving any credit to the fact that the news media is to some extent a reflection of the society that it is representing uh-huh. like canadian news media is less violent in part because we have far fewer homicides to cover yeah. here yeah. from gun violence like i i yeah. think that's i think there is a point to be made that like news media does influence the way people behave but at the same time like our news media is also reflective of a culture that is on the whole less violent and has less guns available than yeah. the American sure. I mean, culture has. Yeah. There are a lot of, I think, kernels of good ideas here that yeah. got distorted and, you know, just fucked into oblivion by <laughs> Moore's uh, ridiculous handling of them. So, for instance, late in the movie, there's this uh, section about the youngest school shooting ever, which was in Flint, Michigan, where a six year old boy brought a gun from home and killed a little girl. And Moore then 
takes a broader look at it and says, well, his mother was kicked off of welfare and into a welfare-to-work program where she had to drive 80 miles every day on a bus to work at Dick Clark's American Bandstand restaurant. Um, and she didn't have any time to spend with her kids. And even at that restaurant, she wasn't making enough money to pay her rent. So she got evicted and she had to live with her brother. And it's the brother's house where the kid got the gun. And I think there's there's an interesting point to be made about how these corporations and these companies like Dick Clark's Bandstand Restaurant, you know, will, will exploit cheap labor yeah. uh, from welfare-to-work programs and get tax benefits from it. Um, and not even pay them enough, and it's a systemic problem. But of course, that's not where the analysis ends up, because as with every Michael Moore film, he has to personify it in some figure. So there's a, a scene which was almost impossible for me to watch, where he ambushes Dick Clark, who's actually sitting in a car, uh-huh. uh, and you can't even really see Dick Clark, like the camera's not even close enough to the car, and he's just kind of shouting, like, Michael Moore-isms at Dick Clark, who it's eventually... like, Mr. Clark, Mr. Clark, we, we just want to talk about the welfare to work program. Yeah. Uh, this, this girl is... Uh, uh, come on! So we're really in a hurry. Uh, okay, now close the door. And he drives away, and Michael Moore goes, Mr. Clark, but wait... Sheesh! As if Michael he's Moore... surprised yeah. that that was the result. So, I mean, it just ends up being, like, this insane convoluted and it's like yeah. it's not even like dick clark i don't think dick clark is even like directly involved in, of course not in the hiring process which you know i mean it's it's bad that dick clark is lending his name to a company like this but at the same time i don't think the most productive thing to do is to ambush dick clark no. in a parking lot no. um it's just a dumb stunt no, like we, every dumb thing and i feel like we does. have this conversation every pretty Ugh. much every episode like this conversation about michael moore's favorite tactic of staging these kind of uh, scenes with people knowing the result in advance. And it's yeah. basically, it's it's not documentary, it's performance, you know. Well, what's I think, that, I think the contradictions of this movie are best summed up in that scene where he's talking about, so he's been talking about how, like, the news media makes us all fearful, and that's why people buy guns, and that's why stuff's bad. And then he talks about the Flint shooting where the uh, little boy killed the little girl, and then he is like, and the whole media showed up. They didn't care about this school before the, the shooting. And <laughs> it's, it's like, like, it was, he's like... He says, with a straight face, this was the first time the national media had been to this public school. And it's like, of course it yeah. fucking yeah, was. Yeah, it's just like an elementary yeah, school. The national media never went to my school. Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. would they? And uh, he's, he's got... It's, yeah, oh man. And so then, so then <laughs> he shows us kind of behind-the-scenes footage of the news people, you know getting into character basically to, to appear really sad to talk about this little girl who died and then it sh- he shows us them kind of once the camera's off being kind of smug and like oh i need some hairspray or you know whatever and then he interviews one of the news anchors um and he he asks them you know how is your news different and the anchor says well you know a lot of news they just show you the bad news all the time i mean we like to we like to mix it up we like to have a lot of good news I mean, isn't that what Michael Moore wanted? Yeah, yeah. but but he's like, mocking this guy for like, yeah. doing the thing he was promoting. Get, get, get this news anchor doesn't want to tell the real truth. He just wants to show only the good news. And then you know, twenty minutes earlier, it was like, well, the media only shows us <laughs> bad news. <laughs> and, and you know, does he contradict himself? Well, he's large; he contains multitudes. That's true, <laughs> especially in his case. Bowling for Columbine is a, oh, come on now. Oh, <laughs> boom, oh, boom. There, oh. I, 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 yeah. Bowling for Columbine is certainly a house of many mansions. Uh, there's, <laughs> I, well, it's not like, okay, what gets me about, so he's talking about this culture of fear stuff. He asked the fundamental question, why are other cultures like Canada and Germany and England different from America fundamentally? And he never talks about gun control. This is something I forgot about this movie. Yeah, like, it's amazing. I, I remember seeing this movie in high school and coming out of it and being like, and thinking like recently about this movie and being like, oh yeah, that movie about uh, America's gun control problem. Mm-hmm. And not once does gun control come up. Like they talk about background checks, maybe a little, like maybe once when they talk about right. the bank. And they but, talk about like bullets being easily available and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and they're like, what's the fundamental difference between Canada and the UK and the US? And it's like the one thing he never addresses is the fact that all those countries have some level of universal background checks and some level of gun control, and mm-hmm. the United States does not. Never comes up right. in and this movie. It's like unbelievable. When he brings mm-hmm. up statistics, there's that whole montage of how many gun murders are there in all these countries. Yeah, and it's like Japan has something like 36 gun murders. Yeah, and America has 11,000. And, and, and that's yeah. because like guns are essentially illegal in Japan. Like, yeah, you can't get a gun. 
And he's like, they have as many guns in Canada. It's like, yeah, well, largely they're like long, they're like hunting rifles that people have, and everybody has to do a background check to get a gun. And if you have a handgun, you can't take it out of your house unless you have a special permit. Like, there's all these things that are huge deterrents to people getting guns who really shouldn't have guns right. in Canada, and that just sort of never really comes up. And then he's like, oh, yeah, well, like a kid could go to a school and shoot up people. And it's like, that does also happen in lots of different countries. It's the fact that, like everyday gun murders happen far more often in the U.S. than they do mm, in other right. places. That's the closest thing he comes to, something close to like a suggestion of how we can change policy or change practices or whatever, is the big stunt at the end of the movie or near the end of the movie where he goes with the two survivors of the Columbine Massacre to Kmart to return the bullets that are lodged in their body and then he uh, goes to the local Kmart and buys out all the ammunition. First of all, terrible. T- if you're trying to convince Kmart to stop selling bullets to then have a run on bullets at Kmart, seems like a really <laughs> dumb idea. <laughs> like, I, guess, really I guess the idea is that, well, if we buy all these bullets, then the next Columbine massacre won't happen. So we're rewarding Kmart they, for Because the, ki- the kids won't be able to buy bullets at this store. They're sold out. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, what's crazy is, like, he also in Canada he explores the idea that well you know maybe they just don't have guns and he's like but Canadians are gun loving too and whatever so he actually argues against the notion that the presence of guns is the problem which seems a really bizarre thing for Michael Moore to do yeah. in the movie which is like it's the gun control movie and as you said Chris nothing about gun control in it and it's and it's attacking yeah. the idea that the presence of guns is a problem right except yeah. except in, at the end of the movie when he contradicts himself again <laughs> and says well I don't know a lot about a lot of things but what I do know is after 9-11 gun sales went up and right. a scared nation shouldn't have these many guns right so I guess his so the opposite then. So yeah. So I guess I guess his God. ultimate conclusion is that it's it's fine to have guns around as long as the nation isn't scared. Yeah, um, as long as you're Canada, have as many guns as you want. If you're America, gotta get rid of those things. Yeah. Right. As long as long as you, the nation isn't scared and they're watching Canadian news and here are two, <laughs> here are two clips of Canadian news which are not which at I all randomly selected. Yeah. Um, which include like one guy just talking about like parliamentary procedure or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Uh, say, saying some banality that would be not out of place on CNN. You know? I mean, because no. it's not like CNN all day every day is stories of murders. Most of it is just panels sitting around talking about. Yeah, you mostly know. it's just like James Carville talking about yeah. if like Martin O'Malley has a shot at the Democratic nomination <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk about while we're on Canada. Let's yeah, talk let's about. Do it. Uh, we, I mean, I, we can't we can't have a podcast about Bowling for Columbine and not talk as Canadians, especially joined by you know a representative of our national broadcast. Oh yeah, that's let's right. Not, let's let's uh, also make clear that I am not a representative <laughs> of our national broadcast. You are here on behalf of the yeah, CBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's the CBC always sends low-level functionaries from CBC Radio <laughs> 1 to represent them on cases like this. So so perhaps the most uh perhaps the I mean for one for me anyway one of the most iconic parts of this movie <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we've made fun of it already in former episodes <laughs> is where Michael Moore is is here in Toronto where we're recording. And, um, you know, he's exploring this idea that, you know, Canadians may have lots of guns, but they're meek folk. They're not mad at each other. They're not afraid. They're simple folk. Yeah. And he, uh, and he of course, uh, you know, uh, has an airtight empirical test of this, uh, of this hypothesis. Uh, what is it, Will? Uh, well, he learns just by talking to people that Canadians don't lock their doors very much. As an American with three locks on his doors, I found this all a bit confusing. Even here in Toronto, a city of millions, people just didn't lock their doors. So you don't lock your doors, but we Americans do. Why, why is that? <laughs> it must, you must be afraid of your neighbor. You ever leave your doors unlocked at home? Yeah. Yeah, you do? Sure. Where do you live? Right around here. Toronto? Right around here. Right around here. You leave your doors unlocked? Yeah. <laughs> you think, uh, as Americans, that uh, the lock is keeping people out of your place. Uh, we as Canadians see it uh, more as... Uh, when we lock the door, we're imprisoning ourselves inside. Uh, and you don't want to do that? Not really, no. One, one guy tells him, like, in can <laughs> Oh, this is the guy with the backwards <laughs> baseball guy, cap? <laughs> oh, my God. This is a guy with a goatee and a backwards baseball cap who says to Michael Moore... The douche in your MA class. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. says, like, we... I can't even get through it. He says, you as Americans <laughs> think that locking your door is locking the bad guys out. But we as Canadians think we're locking ourselves in. Into a prison. <laughs> Into yeah. Prison. Oh. So Michael Moore tests this theory by, well, I found out that Canadians don't lock their doors, and I decided to see for myself. 
and we see him go to three houses in what appears to be the annex. Yeah. In broad daylight. In broad daylight, <laughs> just kind of open the door. And of course, all three of the houses we see, he opens the door. Oh, And there's like a person standing right there. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> locks their door. And, you know, first of all, we don't know how many houses he went to. He might have gone no. to 500 to get that three. Because three seems kind of a low number. Mm. Uh, secondly, it's broad daylight. Mm. Third, all the houses have somebody home. <laughs> so, you know, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's so stupid. He's an idiot. Uh, it... But, you know, uh, the thing about anecdotal evidence is he uses anecdotal evidence when it suits him, and then he uses some kind of vague, context-free statistics when it benefits him. Mm. So there's a scene where he's in Windsor, and he's asking, well, I heard it, there weren't very many murders in um, Sarnia, but I decided, see, surely there have to be some murders in uh, Windsor. And then you see him talking to a guy at a bar. He says, oh, I've never heard of any murders around here. And then he talks to a cop who's like, oh, I don't remember the last murder. Yeah. And it's like, why not actually dig up the statistics rather than talking to these random people? Yeah. Well, it's because it doesn't suit his argument. Yeah. Well, and I think the statistics actually probably back him up. Like if he's comparing Detroit and Windsor's murder rates, but he just never gets to it even. Like then, he doesn't even bother. Yeah. And then crazy. he doesn't go to Toronto where of course there were murders. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, this was not that long before like the year of the gun in Toronto where we actually had like serious hundreds, anxiety yeah. that we were going to have yeah. like a, that we're having a homicide epidemic. Yeah. And basically yeah. he paints Toronto as this kind of like uh, paradise where he's like, I asked somebody uh, to show me an impoverished area, and, well, this is what a ghetto looks like in Canada. And, of course, it looks like a nice apartment block, and you right. see a kid playing baseball. Right. And there, is, there is no poverty in Canada. This is a fact. This right. is a fact. Even uh, though he also, at one point, points out that Canada's unemployment rate is higher than the American unemployment rate at that right. point. So. <laughs> nice uh, random statistic oh right oh there. Boy. Um, so this movie is terrible. Um, uh, well... There are powerful moments in this movie. Well, sure. We can, I mean, and which, I mean, I think it brings to Charlton Heston, right? Which <laughs> is kind of a powerful moment in all fairness. Like, it's even, powerful that made me cringe, like, horribly. It made me avert my gaze. But I did See, I actually think I kind of disagree, because I think it okay. is... So there's a moment where, like, quite famously, the movie ends with uh, Michael Moore going to Charlton Heston's house and sitting down with him. At this point, he was the president, or at least the token ceremonial head of the NRA. Yes. And sitting down with him and asking him about gun violence and ta- and asking him questions like, why is America a lot more violent than these other places? And Charlton Heston gives a really, like, gives a, it's kind of incredible how bad his answer is, where he's like, he just we're more multi-ethnic. Through. Yeah, he gives yeah. all these answers that we don't really blood, make sense. We have more blood on our hands than other countries. Historically, yeah. And then Michael Moore finally pisses him off by saying, well, it's it's isn't it a shame you, you came to Denver after the school shooting? Uh, would you apologize to the people? And then that pisses him off, and he goes off. Which leads to the most indelible scene of the film, which is Charlton Heston walking away, and then you see Michael Moore go, uh, Mr. Heston, and then he pulls out a picture of the little girl who got killed in Flint, and he goes, this is the girl. No, wait, wait, Mr. Heston. Don't, don't, don't Look at her. Yeah. Look at her. <laughs> and then, and the way he films this scene is, he films it from two angles. You see Heston walking away, and then you see Michael Moore holding up the picture to him, and he couldn't have shot the two things no. at the same time. No, it would have been physically impossible. So yeah. clearly he stages part of the scene, Ugh, which is yeah. hilarious. Um, and then the scene ends with Michael Moore leaving the picture of the little girl on Charlton Heston's stoop. And then walking away with like a, a deliberately like dopey, sad face. Just so on, sad, uh, looking like droopy dog. He's, uh, like, he's like, I, I left this... Uh, this Hollywood mansion back into the real world or whatever. Seems Tinseltown isn't as glamorous as I thought it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm just a guy from Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> um, I and mean, I mean, yeah. so Charlton Heston does terribly here. And, yeah. and when the movie came out, the NRA was trying to spin it as being like, well, actually, Mr. Heston is in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Mm. And isn't it a shame that Michael Moore would exploit him? But I mean, the fact is, Charlton Heston was the president of the NRA. Yeah, so he you was still the public face of that yeah, organization. So you don't get to have it both ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, I, you know, there's something, it's funny, watching this movie, it's a big, messy film full of contradictions, including the contradictions that the media is to blame, but not Marilyn Manson or South Park. They're right. okay. Mm. And it's a cultural thing. Except for the fact that these other countries have cultures that are worse. It's like all these contradictions, which I guess when you think about, like, it is really hard to explain gun violence in America, and it is full of contradictions, like the actual reality of it. So, in a way, it's a very messy film for a very messy issue. But, like, yeah. as an essay film, it's kind of unpersuasive, because, like, all the points it's making are really all over the place. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, there's even one part where he's going in uh, south-central L.A., 
Oh god. Oh, yeah. Oh, that god. seems crazy. Brutal. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. We need to talk about this. I, this yeah. Is, yeah. Do you want to say what happens? Uh, well, so uh, he's he's in South Central LA, and and I guess the conceit is that people have this stereotype. We live in this culture of fear, so there's this stereotype that it's really violent. So he's walking around with with some guy who I don't think he's ever identified. That guy's a but, professor. I believe he identifies that guy as the author of a book called okay. The Culture of Fear. Keeps, he keeps reappearing. And I had no idea who he was, so I oh, must have just missed that. A but, lot of people appear in this movie who are yeah. not clear who they are. Yeah, including there's. <laughs> There's one guy, uh, just to digress, there's one guy who appears like several times who's just like leaning back in a car and he is never identified. Has a British has accent. weird no British clue accent. No idea who he is. Um, so they're in South Central LA and uh, the guy's saying, you know, yeah, there's this stereotype that it's really violent here, but the chances that anything's going to happen to us are very low. And then he points and he's like, over there, the Hollywood sign, which of course, you know, is emblematic of all this you know, glamour or whatever. And and Michael Moore's like, oh, I can't, I can't see it. You know, he's like, ah, oh, that's because the real danger is what we're breathing in here, which is all the all the pollution. So this leads to Michael Moore going to, I think, an, an, an ill-defined crime scene and down asking, the street, down the street, and asking <laughs> police, you know. Is there anyone you can arrest on the, you know, because of the pollution? <laughs> and asking the reporter, he's like, why, why don't you do a story on the on the pollution? It, <laughs> it ends in a police officer literally turning and just walking away <laughs> while Michael Moore is asking that, a question. When he's talking to the reporter, he's like, why don't you do a story about pollution? It reminds me of that scene in Don't Look Back when Bob Dylan's <laughs> like, you people in the media don't, don't cover the real truth. The real truth would be... A, a picture of Rockefeller next to a picture of a bum. <laughs> yeah. That, oh, that scene is so crazy because he is making the point that actually it's not very violent here. Then he comes across a crime scene down the street contradicting his point and spends the whole time just asking a cop why like, the pollution is so bad. It's like, why is the media covering this violent crime scene, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so it's... It's a, it's a messy film. I mean, as as a kid watching this, it's like there's just so much stuff in it that it, it was like an overwhelming experience. And as your kid, these ideas are new to you or newer mm-hmm. to you. Um, so it's more overwhelming. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed, uh, yeah, I, I was completely overwhelmed by this film. This is a film, even after I saw it multiple times, you know, I was, would watch it with some friends or something. And then when it finished, we'd all just sit back kind of like, whoa. Yeah. Whoa. And not this time. <laughs> I, think, I, you know, I think there are still some powerful moments in it. Like, I think I remember a lot of the stuff I connect with. <laughs> There's a couple. I mean, there's like the actual <laughs> footage. Yourself, Chris. The actual Columbine audio right. is still really powerful yeah. to hear, even if it is in like this tonally weird context. Right. Um, I think there are like the the sequence where he's talking to the dad of the kid who died of Columbine. And the dad, is, is the dad giving the speech as well. Is, yeah, is and the dad good. giving the speech yeah. is pretty is is pretty is still an intense thing to watch. I, I mean, sure. but it. I mean, especially when you know more about Michael Moore's actual tactics and when you can see the seams, like you can see the part where he's clearly staging a thing with Charlton Heston showing him the photo, like it's kind of hard to take the movie seriously now. But I mean, this was like a really acclaimed film, right? Mm-hmm. Like Insane. It, 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 this won the Oscar for best documentary. Right. Where he gave the year that, that it famous came out. speech. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, wait, one more scene that I loved. Was, uh, <laughs> um, all kinds of treats in this movie. <laughs> the Marilyn Manson interview ends with uh, Michael Moore saying, <laughs> yeah. um, what would you say to the uh, oh, yeah. students of Columbine? And Marilyn Manson said, I wouldn't say anything. I would listen to what they have to say. Which, you know, fair he's enough. He's like, that's what nobody did. After. Yeah. 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 You know, Reasonable. That, that's a nice sentiment. And then it cuts to <laughs> Michael Moore interviewing uh, two, I guess, high school students from, uh, from Columbine who really have nothing to say. And Michael Moore says to them, uh, so did you know? Uh, did you know these kids? Yeah, we, we, uh, we saw them a little bit. They were kind of weird. Um, so they liked the bowling class. Yeah, they would kind of just throw the balls down the lane. Uh, how good a bowler were they, really? It's like, basically, it's as if Michael Moore is saying, well, Marilyn Manson, actually, these kids have nothing to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, so he, picked, like, he picked some pretty dopey kids, Which, which, which would seem to contradict Moore's, like, populist veneer that he's trying to... Yeah. But, but, it, but it's like, why not ask the kids, okay, these kids weren't friends of, no. uh, of the Columbine killers. Why not just ask them, you know, what are the pressures of being in high school? What would lead these kids to do something like this mm-hmm. what was it like at, at columbine after this massacre mm-hmm. there there are so many things you could ask these kids as, he, Mar- as he doesn't. i mean marilyn manson's right that there are things these yeah. kids have to tell us but he doesn't and mm-hmm. in fact he just kind of scores a, a really mm-hmm. gross cheap shot against these innocent <laughs> kids so before we talk about moore's uh, oscar speech i do think we should talk about this bowling conceit that runs through the film 
Because if there's anything that's emblematic of Oh, you how, mean it comes up three times at random intervals? <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's anything that's emblematic of, of, of the ideological incoherence and just utter problem that, that is this film, <laughs> I think it's this bowling metaphor, which makes no sense at all to me. Basically, what he's saying is, you know, supposedly, it's not even true, but uh, so, so there, was, <laughs> there was one report that said that before they went on their rampage, the kids uh, went bowling at mm-hmm. the local bowling alley and Columbine High School offered a bowling class. Um, so he says, well, they're blaming video games, they're blaming music, why aren't they blaming bowling? Isn't that as good a reason as any? First of all, it's not as good a reason as any. It's really not. It's truly not. I mean, I don't think Marilyn Manson is to blame for the massacre, but I think he's, if, on the list of things to blame, I think he's more influential than bowling is. <laughs> okay? Um, they're not, it's a false equivalence. He even asks somebody, like, towards the end of it, we ask somebody who works in the bowling alley for their, like, thoughts on gun violence, as right. if they would have anything to contribute. Bowling is basically a metaphor for the inability of, of us to say, what's the cause of these gun murders? How can we stop them? It's basically, you know, throwing your hands up in the air and saying, well, anything, it could be anything. Whereas well, really what it could be is just stronger background checks and you <laughs> know. less guns on the yeah. street. Fewer guns, actual like less inequality in the country. Yeah. Well also the fact that like he's so he's saying it really he's making two points that really do not work together. One of them is we live in a culture of fear that is making kids do things, and the other one is we have no idea why they did it. It could have been bowling. Yeah. It could have been Marilyn Manson. Right. Could have been the president. At one point, he it's says, "Like those are those are yeah. opposite points." He says, "He says, why did they do it? I guess we'll never know." Or and something. that, yeah. it's like, well, we know why they did yeah. it though. Yeah. yeah, it's just they were incredibly unpopular kids, and they hated. And they were bullied. The and they, yeah. yeah, yeah, and they had some mental illness. That, and it was easy yeah. for them to get guns. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then end of the movie, Michael Moore. I hope grows, you're listening, Michael Moore. Oh. Yeah, like and, fucking shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> end of this movie, Michael Moore interviews the guy at the bowling alley who has nothing to contribute except yeah I guess I saw those kids and the Michael Moore's like okay bye Michael Moore <laughs> throws a strike yeah. and then says and in the end it all comes back to bowling for Columbine it's like how does it all come back to that <laughs> what we, does we that wrapped mean? it up with a neat little bow what does the term bowling <laughs> we, for we Columbine mean we just said mean? the title in the movie yeah <laughs> the I was end. was I, I it's okay here's what I'm wondering about watching this movie now is back in high school was I susceptible enough that just hearing him say the title of the movie at the end I'm like that all makes sense. I like think just, I, yeah, I think that was yes. it. Yeah. I think yes. it's because like hearing him say the title of the movie at the end of this one, my response was, "What the hell? This was incoherent." <laughs> yeah, this is a terrible movie. All right, it's it's not surprised. a good movie. We didn't enjoy it. It's incoherent for all the reasons we said. It has no answers for gun violence. Can you believe we but, haven't said anything about the Orlando shooting? And maybe we should just keep it that way because we're not like Michael Moore. We're not exploiting I, a tragedy. I think there are powerful moments in this film, and I think it is. Yeah, I was I was gonna say like I was really excited to come on and do this fun podcast with you guys before the largest mass shooting in American history happened. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, but no, it's well, I mean the Orlando thing. It's like, yeah, obviously there are some really deep seated like there is a deep seated culture of gun violence in America, and I think there are some moments in this film where Michael Morris is being like, I'm baffled by this culture. It's I think that's kind of the appropriate response is bafflement and. Confusion and anger that nothing has been done. To a point, but that's yeah. like just an—it's an impotent. This film because it doesn't yeah. offer. Yeah, sure. It's like if you're angry about uh, a massacre, whether it's Columbine or Orlando, I don't think the film really gives you any resources to be like, "Here's what we need to do." You know, right. here's who the bad yeah. guys are. Like, yeah. I know. mean, all all it really says, the closest it comes to a point is Kmart shouldn't sell bullets. Right. Which which isn't enough. I'm gonna yeah. put it out. There. Yeah. <laughs> so well, so I think we should say something nice about Moore, which is his Oscar uh, acceptance speech for this film. We should just mention that quickly. Yeah. Right. So he so this film won uh, best documentary as and the Oscars as that is. was happening while the Iraq War was going on mm-hmm. um, in 2003. Three, right. I've invited uh, my fellow documentary nominees on the stage with us, and. We would like to, they are here, they are here in solidarity with me because we like nonfiction. We like nonfiction and we live in fictitious times. We live in a time where we have fictitious election results that elects a fictitious president. We, we live in a time where we have a man sending us to war for fictitious reasons, whether it's the fictitious of duct tape or the fictitious of orange alerts. We are against this war, Mr. Bush. Shame on you, Mr. Bush. Shame on you. And any time, 
You've got the Pope and the Dixie Chicks against you. Your time is up. The, the camera cuts to rows of celebrities not clapping mm-hmm. instead of wearing a bemused look on their faces. And to Moore's credit, it's an extremely ballsy thing to do. We just watched yeah. it before we uh, before we started recording, and uh, I'd never seen it, but it is pretty impressive. I, I, yeah. admi- I admired it far more than I admired anything in the movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a moment of triumph for him. Like, it's a moment of personal triumph, and he uses it to just say something very unpopular in yeah. this mm-hmm. room where, like, it was a time when yeah. the Iraq War was still super popular. And I mean, it would, it would have been so easy for him to just go up on stage and thank the Academy. Mm. And, and say, we got to do something about guns. But yeah. no, he actually chose like mm. another point to make. Yeah, and you which... know that life was hard for him for you know the six months after this. Mm. Of, yeah, you know if you go say that in front of forty million people, like I, I've heard, I've seen him interviewed where he said that people would like throw coffee at him on the street. Oh sure, just, absolutely, you know, yeah. Or, or specifically, you're blaming the president who at that point was like at the height of his popularity still. Right. Or at least and he was 70% not, yeah. of the country approved of the war. Right, exactly. Of course, and if Moore had said that a year later, it would have been far less controversial. Mm-hmm. But it was there was a, a moment when. Yeah, like the majority of uh, the United States was 100% behind the war, and it was treasonous to say anything critical. So right. Moore well, did, did, did do something pretty risky. Moore did say that a year later in a feature film called Fahrenheit 9-11, which came out in 2004. <laughs> oh, yeah, tune in next week. <laughs> um, it's it's going to be fun. I mean, I think our thesis going into doing this podcast was that, you know, we had to get some of the rougher films out of the way, save Roger and me, and then we were getting to the really meaty stuff. You know, the iconic Moore films, Bowling for Columbine, Fahrenheit 9-11, Sicko, uh, Capitalism, A Love Story. And I mean, this film, like, demoralized me more than I (laughs) I thought, although it's been a lot of fun to talk about it, and I do feel like I have closure on this movie. I will, I never need to see it again now. Yeah, I thought it was just great to hang out with my buds tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Watch a movie that we could make fun of. Glad to hang out with all my pals, Marilyn Manson, uh, (laughs) that guy from the bowling alley. Trey Parker. Trey Parker. Charlton Heston. (laughs) The mayor of Sarnia, Ontario, who for some reason Michael Moore keeps interviewing about stuff. (laughs) So uh, next week, Fahrenheit 9-11 will take you back to those heady days of 2004. Oh boy. Uh, So that'll be next week weekend until then unless you guys have anything else to add <laughs> my name was will sloan i'm luke savage uh i'm chris brube thanks for having me guys it was a pleasure Cheers. Cheers.